Good morning. It's Wednesday, January 26th. I'm Shemita Basu. And I'm Duarte Geraldino. This is Apple News Today. Each morning, hear about some of the most fascinating stories in the news and how the world's best journalists are covering them. Today is the day we learn what the Fed's going to do about inflation. It can be worrying to see prices going up, but it's something that happens over time. We can handle it if our income goes up too. The problem is, right now, salaries are not keeping up with prices. If you look at all the numbers, you can see this. Wages went up nearly 5% last year, which sounds like a sweet raise, right? But when you adjust for inflation, overall wages were actually down 2.4% on average. The Washington Post has a story that puts human faces on these numbers. The paper spoke with more than a dozen workers who say even though they got big raises lately, they're struggling. They say they can't even cover basic expenses, rent, groceries, gas. Several people said they've also taken on second jobs. Devin Norris is one of them. He's a high school teacher in Florida. During the pandemic, his salary went up by more than 20%. It's now nearly $50,000 a year. But when you factor in inflation, he feels more behind than ever. He told The Post he can't even find an apartment he can afford. Plus, food and gas costs have skyrocketed. And he's now started taking on additional work at restaurants. He says even though he makes more money than he ever has in his life, he feels broke. He never imagined being 37 years old and still needing a roommate. When the Fed makes its announcement, you'll see all kinds of analysis and terms flying around, wage price spiral, dual mandate. Monetary policy can be complicated, but essentially the Fed's mission is simple. Make sure people can get jobs and keep prices under control. It's what connects the central bank to people like Devin. And it's why handling the economic consequences of the pandemic matters so much. Tensions are high right now between Russia and Ukraine. American troops are on standby to go to Eastern Europe. Russian troops are on Ukraine's border. The West is trying to understand what Vladimir Putin may do next. And we may have insight from one of Putin's biggest enemies. Alexei Navalny is Russia's most prominent opposition leader. The government calls him a terrorist. He is currently in a Russian jail. He was poisoned and says the Kremlin tried to kill him. It denies involvement. I have known Navalny for more than a decade. That's Time Magazine correspondent Simon Schuster, an expert on Russia. He recently exchanged letters with Navalny from prison, and he told us few people have studied Putin as long and as obsessively as Navalny, who thinks the U.S. is handling Putin all wrong. He says that the West is fooling itself if it thinks it can negotiate with Putin and reach some kind of friendly reset in relations, um, because that is just not what he's about. Navalny says the way to go after Putin and his regime is through their wallets, by attacking their money. His main insight that he tries to get across to the West is that the Putin government's reason for being is corruption, and its biggest political vulnerability is also corruption. So they, they essentially are in power in order to enrich themselves. And by enriching themselves, they collect assets that they then store in Western banks and Western real estate, you know, condos in Miami, yachts in the Mediterranean. 
Yesterday, President Biden said he'll consider personal sanctions on Putin himself. It's a rare move, and it's the kind of thing Navalny might support. So uh, Navalny's message to the West is if you want to influence Putin, if you want to change his behavior and the behavior of his government and, and the elites around him, all you have to do is impose very harsh sanctions on their wealth. And he says by doing that, you will essentially pressure the elites to turn on Putin inside Russia and, and weaken his position enough to allow some democratic change to take place. Navalny tells Schuster he also wants to see opposition supporters apply pressure from within. Putin is scared of popular uprisings. I mean, experience has shown in that part of the world and in many parts of the world that the biggest threat to an authoritarian regime is not some foreign military invasion. It's from within. It's uh, when the people rise up and, and stage a revolution. And Putin has seen this happen in his immediate neighborhood over and over again. And it is fundamentally the biggest threat to his rule. Mexico is one of the deadliest countries in the world to work as a journalist. So far this year, three journalists have been killed. Last year, it was seven. This means fewer people may be willing to sign up to do this dangerous and vital work, work that keeps government, business, and crime in check. Journalists in Mexico are really tired of waking up to headlines about another reporter, another photographer uh, who's been killed in a different part of the country. That's Kate Linthicum from the Los Angeles Times. She's a reporter based in Mexico City. Since the year 2000, one press advocacy group has documented the killings of 148 Mexican journalists. It says many of the victims covered crime and the links between gangs and corrupt police or lawmakers. Linthicum told us about Margarito Martinez. He's one of the journalists who was recently killed in Mexico. This man was 49 years old and a father. He was shot outside of his home. Linthicum, she considered him a friend. Margarito uh, was famous in the journalism community. He had a great sense of humor, despite the fact that he covered really heavy subjects. He basically took photographs of crime scenes. Tijuana has seen just a spiraling homicide crisis in recent years. And Margarito was really on the front lines of that, you know, taking pictures of sort of some of the worst of humanity. Um, yet he maintained this really incredible kind of lightness of being and was just a joy to work with. Linthicum also told us about Lourdes Maldonado Lopez. Just days after speaking at a vigil for Margarito, Lourdes was shot outside her home. Their deaths took place less than a week apart. She had worked as a broadcast and radio reporter uh, for a number of years for the Televisa local channel um, and in recent years independently. She was known as, as a really passionate journalist who um, cared deeply about politics and exposing corruption. Authorities say they're investigating both killings and that the motive is currently unknown. But you should know a few years before her death, Lourdes was at a press conference with Mexican President Andres Manuel López Obrador. In that press conference, she told the president that she feared for her life. She was entered into a state protection program for journalists. The program is supposed to assign bodyguards and shelter for journalists who are under threat. But Linthicum told us it hasn't kept people like Lourdes safe. They are really deficient. They're 
terribly underfunded, understaffed. And the proof that they're not working is quite evident because along with Lourdes, you know, a handful of other journalists in recent years who were enrolled in these programs have been murdered. Linthicum also told us the situation is worrying journalists in Mexico. Yesterday, they protested in the streets to demand the government do more to protect them. And all this fear has led to fewer people reporting on their communities. So what that means is these are places where there's no eyes on the ground. There's nobody making sure that, you know, officials are doing their jobs. There's nobody, you know, tracking what organized crime groups are doing. Baseball legends Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens have been denied entry into the Hall of Fame. It was their final appearance on the ballot. There wasn't much debate about their stats. These are superstars who broke records in their prime. For many baseball observers, it was more about the players' connection to the steroid era and Major League Baseball's need to reckon with it. There were allegations against both men in the 2007 report on performance-enhancing drugs by former Senator George Mitchell, Neither player ever admitted to knowingly using them. They never tested positive, although they played most of their career before baseball did testing. And let's be clear, Bonds and Clemens were among the most prominent faces of the steroid era. So for a lot of people, the vote going against them feels like closing the book on a controversial time for the sport. If you want to read more about this story, we've picked out a few options for you. For a straightforward take, The Wall Street Journal explains it well. And for serious baseball fans who want to get into the weeds, including the controversy around David Ortiz getting into the Hall of Fame, there's a really good write-up for you in The Ringer. You can find those along with all the stories we talked about today on the Apple News app. Just search for Apple News Today. We've also got something exclusive there right now. It's a tribute to Kobe Bryant, two years after he died in a helicopter crash. It's written and read by fellow NBA legend Allen Iverson. Here's a preview. I remember hearing the story that you were on the road and you were watching highlights of me dropping 35 on the Knicks at the Garden all rookie year. And you got so mad, you smashed up the hotel and started researching me like you were the CIA. Get me the file on AI. I bet it was like that. Studying how great white sharks hunt down seals in the Pacific Ocean and whatnot. What I love about that story is the truth. That was just our relationship. Two dudes pushing each other to greatness. You can hear the rest on the Players' Tribune in the Apple News app. We'll talk with you again tomorrow. Tomorrow.